0: welcome to a Canadian investing in the u.s a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland hello and welcome to another episode of a Canadian investing in the US uh, I am your host Glenn Sutherland uh, in case you don't know who I am I am the host of this show a Canadian investing in the US I'm also the host or co-host of advanced real estate investing talk I um, Both great podcasts in my opinion, a little biased, but anyway, (laughs) um, so where do I live? Do I live in Canada? Do I live in the U.S.? Uh, I actually live in Canada. I live just outside of Waterloo, Ontario. Um, so yeah, um, I own properties in both Canada and the U.S. Um, I actually, to give you the summary, I have sold off my Canadian properties as everyone who's Canadian listening to this knows that we've appreciated a ton and I've cashed out on those properties. Um, so where do I invest now? Um, Alabama, Indiana, Missouri, Ohio, and Florida. So that's a lot of spots, Glenn. Yeah, it is. Um, I do have different uh, techniques and, or ideas or plans for each market. Um, every market, just like if you're going to say oh, you know, investing is bad in Ontario, I don't believe that at all. Um, I just think that certain strategies work better in certain markets. Certain markets are great flip markets. Certain markets are good appreciation markets. Some markets are great cash flow markets. And sometimes in the same markets, those two two or three strategies, sometimes they're different markets. And markets do run on totally different cycles. What I wanted this episode to be was a redo of... Um, episode 1 and episode 100 because this is episode 200. So every 100 episodes, I want to kind of do an overview of, of an entire 100 episodes, which is once a week. So basically two years worth of information. And um, Episode 100 is phenomenal and it's better than episode one Um, and hopefully episode 200 will be better so I want to do a full summary um, go over everything for people who want to be investors and if you want to dive deeper um, I dive much deeper uh, if you're interested in my coaching program glensutherland.com slash coaching it is probably being an ad stuck somewhere in this uh, during the show anyway um, and what I wanted to do was flip over episode 100. Um, So instead of finishing with some deals, I'm going to start with some deals because I think deals is what gets everyone excited. Okay, so I'm going to start off with one of our deals and I think it might illustrate like some people are like why the heck do you buy in the U.S.? What kind of numbers? What kind of things are you doing? So I'm just going to start off with an example and then we'll get into the the meat and potatoes of this episode. Um, So pop something up on the screen right now so this one uh is a duplex that i bought uh in during COVID. anyway probably a year or or year and a half ago something like that anyway um so i have in here the purchase price at seventeen thousand dollars um that seventeen isn't true a true 17 just to be full disclosure it was about eight thousand dollars i believe or of back taxes back (laughs) back taxes and uh nine thousand dollars of actual purchase price. So it worked out to about $17,000 to get this thing all caught up um, because we had to do that on closing in order to take possession. So I just counted as $17,000 cash. Um, typically, I do work in cash on my projects and then I do refinances into American lending. Uh, Asset based lending is where I usually go for my projects. So in this one, $17,000 purchase, $60,000 renovation quick math that works out to about $77,000 uh, that you're needed. Just to give you an idea uh, of the project, we had an after repair value on this project. So, our all in cash 77,000. These numbers are basically the HGTV numbers where at, when I what I say when I mean that is they're missing like Um, Some smaller costs like the carrying costs like the utilities and stuff of the the 50 bucks a month for hydro and uh, you know 50 bucks a month for gas and in those kind of numbers are all missing from this It's just super basic numbers, Um, but we had an ARV of 125,000 all in cash of 77,000 so financing, we're going to talk about this this week, but financing does change all the time for Canadians or foreign national program. Um, And when we did this refinance, we did refinance at 65% loan to value, meaning we had to put a deposit down of $35,000, but we were working on cash. So it just comes out of the property, if that makes sense to you, which I think it will. Um, so, to to perfect burr these things, basically, super simple thing, you need to come up with $77,000. Um, an ARV of $125,000, putting a loan on it, 65% leverage, that's still um, going to more than perfect burr. That's going to give us an $81,250. Um, we're not counting in the mortgage setup fees, uh, just for simplicity. But basically, um, if you wanted to look at this deal quick, uh, it's a duplex. It's a two-bedroom, one-bath on each side. And if you're listening to this, it looks like a semi-detached. And it's an infinite burr. Um, it We refinanced it. We got more than what we put into it. And like when I showed this po- uh, this property a few years back or a year back uh, to some people in London, as they were wording it, like, the bricks are worth the as much as the purchase price. And these properties do exist. They they are out there. They are you are able to find these. So anyway, um, I just wanted to put a deal in to get excited and I mean, maybe there going people going, what's what's the what's the rent? What's the rent? Because I just thought I'd never said listed that. So rent is eight fifty a month, uh, times two units, right? So they cash flow pretty good. Um, so these are the kind of things you can buy in the states. You don't need the same sort of cash call uh, or cash amounts to do this. And a lot of the projects we're doing are. The amount where we're required in order to get the whole thing set up could be as little as what you're paying for a down payment to buy a property in Ontario. So the, the, the amount of money that we're coming up with in order to, uh, to close these properties is phenomenally less. Um, so it is much more affordable for lots of people to do this. When I started investing in the U.S., I did it by myself and had to go through the growing pains of doing that. Glensutherland.com slash coaching. A 12 week coaching program done one hour per week over Zoom from the comfort of your own home. Classes are kept to five people to be able to answer everyone's questions. Shortcut the process, make fewer mistakes. Curriculum available at glensutherland.com slash coaching. Big questions. Can I get lending as a Canadian? Yes, you can. There is Lots of different options for getting lending as a Canadian. Um, the one option is you can go to the Canadian banks. Whether you know this or not, the, a lot of Canadian banks are operating in the United States. Uh, to do some name drops, uh, TD is down there. They loan up the East Coast only. So they will not help you nationwide, but they will help you in certain states. TD, Royal, uh, BMO national bank hsbc and a bunch of smaller little credit unions are also in canada and the u.s um so there are options there the downside to using these banks is you will be personally qualifying for these loans typically they will only let you have five properties and that includes canada and the u.s so for me being a canadian investor that's moved to being an american investor uh, i from day one i couldn't qualify for loans in from those banks because i'd already went over the threshold of five before I started, uh, based on my Canadian assets, because they do count your Canadian assets. And that is one of the perks to working with the Canadian banks is that they are in both countries. They will count all of your stuff in Canada and the U S to help you qualify, but it also works against you. <laughs> um, so what do you already go from there? So there's all the hard money lenders. Um, and in all honesty, the, Even comparing hard money lenders, compared to mortgage brokers that broker the hard money lenders, I still typically go to a broker. Um, I like the idea that they are shopping around to pick um, the best mortgage rate and the best terms, the best leverage rate that I can personally qualify for at this point. Um, I have went direct to the lenders as well, uh, and I found it's basically the same price. They still charge you points. They still charge you uh, the amorti- oh, sorry, not amortization. They still charge you points, and they charge you the uh, loan origination fees, just like the brokers would. So uh, it's kind of like using a realtor. If you're going to buy a property off the MLS, why wouldn't you use a realtor? Because it doesn't cost you nothing, right? So same sort of thing with uh, brokering loans. If it doesn't cost me anything, then I might as well use it, right? Um, so yeah, that's some of the financing that I that, that exists. Um, what kind of leverage like uh, I just mentioned 65% um, certain times of the year, uh, last all the fall, we were getting uh, 75% loan to value on cash out refis. Uh, it's typically you, you, as you want to put a base point in your calculations, you could probably get 65% any time of the year, Um, sometimes uh, basically right now, but this isn't gonna air for another month or so after recording this, but right now, at least right now in early February, um, the leverage rate is around 70%. Most lenders can do 70% for a Canadian investing in the US. Um, Yes, if you have a social security number, you could get those leverage rates boosted up, you could go get an E2 visa to get your social security number. You might have a working visa or some other ways to do that. I'm not going to go down that path of getting a social security number, um, but you can. You still can get that as a Canadian. Um, will I get taxed in both countries? Yes, you will. So um, typically, I buy my properties in entities. So yeah, it will flow down uh, based on to to a personal tax return in the U.S. So um, in some cases, you may not do any dividends. You may not have a personal return in the U.S. But in general, you will, uh, uh, if you use an LP or an LLC, it would all flow down and you have personal return in the US. Your accountant in the US will give you a piece of paper which is a summary of what you've paid in the United States. You give that to your Canadian CPA or you can enter it yourself just like if you do your own taxes, just like a T4 where you're just copying numbers. Uh, It'll be a similar form to that where you can move your numbers from your US taxes onto your Canadian taxes. If you paid any tax in the United States, they will give you that as a credit on your Canadian tax return because there is a tax treaty between both countries. Um, yeah. Next question. Next big question. How can you buy something you haven't seen, you haven't walked through? Glenn, uh, if you ask me, like, when was the last time you were down in the United States? And it was prior to COVID. I haven't been down there during COVID. Mind you, I'm going down there on Thursday. So I'm going down there in a couple days. But um, not for business reasons. I'm going down for a personal trip. So how are you buying these properties, Glenn, without going to see them? And the thing is, you don't need to see the properties. Someone needs to see these properties. I don't buy these things like sight unseen. Um, I have a really hard time buying from the auctions because they are sight unseen. Um, But you run your own numbers you have someone check all your numbers and one of those big numbers would be the renovation budget so if you're going to do a renovation you'd want a contractor to walk that property or multiple contractors to walk that property you know if you're just buying it you may just you might be get a, um, a home inspector to go see the property for you but either way someone is going to see this property and someone is going to give you a report and l- Just like if you're taking my coaching program, you need someone to check all of your numbers. There is so many online apps that will tell you how to do everything. You cannot trust these things. You need to have your rent verified by your property manager. You need to have your your renovations uh, verified by a contractor. If you're doing a flip, you need your ARV verified by a realtor because you need to know that it's going to sell for what you want to sell it for you need to know that the property manager can rent it for what you want to rent it for and you need to know that the contractor can renovate it for what you think it costs so you need all of these things verified you can do all of the thing and buy all the apps you want but these things need to be checked why buy out of state why not just buy in canada Well, first of all, property taxes uh, or taxes in general, they're done differently. Um, The US, if you're just gonna talk about actually income taxes, um, they have a a shorter depreciation schedule, meaning you can write off stuff faster. Um, You can write off your principal and your interest on your mortgages. Um, And for property taxes, um, I like to use the analogy of comparing like Kitchener Waterloo to Toronto, Um, but Certain places, even Toronto, for instance, they they their assessed value is very low, and they haven't they can only move it up so fast every year. And there's lots of people that live in Toronto in million or two million dollar houses that are assessed for like three hundred thousand um, dollars. So the same thing can happen in the U.S. So it's not as easy as just going. What's the the rate that everyone's being taxed on for property taxes to figure out where you want to invest. Sometimes it's just trying to compare apples to oranges. Um, And what you usually do is try to find a like property in a similar neighborhood in all different markets to try and see what they're at. You wanna compare the property taxes uh, of these properties, if if that's an important number to you. uh, For instance, Alabama, uh, my four bedroom, two bath place was $560 a year for property taxes which is absurdly low. If you want to go into that same property in you know, Ohio or Indiana, it will probably be like 1200 to $1,500 for the same property taxes. doesn't mean that Ohio or Indiana are bad places to go. It's just, it's just more expensive. Um, but if we're going to talk about costs, low-cost entry. I did that example off the start of buying houses for 9000 8000 You can buy properties really, really cheap, um, you can buy properties that are very expensive still. You can go into Florida and still buy a half million or million or $10 million house, right? Um, so it's all about figuring out where, what you want and where you want to go. And I always say, like people who are leaving Ontario, you know, why are you leaving Ontario um, to try and figure out your market? If I um, I'm leaving Ontario because I don't like the landlord-tenant board, then maybe pick a state that has a good eviction laws, right? So figure out what's important to you and pick something that makes sense for you um uh some things that always blow my mind is people like i hate the landlord tenant board of ontario but then i go and invest in maybe i won't name drop to to slander any states but they go invest in certain states that aren't uh landlord friendly they're more tenant friendly again and i'm like why do you if that was your biggest thing pick what pick what works for you pick the market that works for you um and pick landlord laws that work for your, yourself so that evictions will be smooth um anytime you need to do contracts and and understand that there are contract states. So contract state means that you, um, for lease agreements, you're signing a lease for one year. And in that time, you're locked in for that year and they're locked in for that year. So if they leave during that, um, depending on the state during that period, they could owe you the rest of the rent for that period because they are renting that place for a whole year. Um, And if you don't have a clause for getting out early and out of the lease, how it works, they do owe you for that rest of the thing. But at the same time, you can't raise your rent at those times, but those states typically at the end of your rental agreement, your one year's expired or your two years expired, you can raise the rent whatever you want. You just have to give them proper notice. Sometimes it's 60 days or 90 days to go into whatever, and then they have that time to accept it or not accept it and move out. Um, so it's a little bit different than uh, the the way we are now. But that's just the, the, the contract states. There could be, um, there's certain states like Missouri, or you can raise the rent at any time, all throughout the whole thing, and then they can. You just have to give notice. All right. So let's change gears a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about the downsides of the U.S. Because every everybody wants to pitch like this stuff is amazing. Everything always works, but um, there is some downsides to this whole thing, right? Um, first of all. Uh, your financing is going to be more difficult. It is much more difficult to do financing in the States. The rates are more expensive. The leverage rates are lower, uh, meaning your down payment is typically higher. Um, I think I mentioned this uh, like at the start of the show, but I do typically work in cash now, and then I refinance into, finan- uh, sell into financing. Um, but what is available to Canadians? We can get... Um, Flicks and flip loans. You can still get ninety percent leverage. They call them ninety-one hundred loans. So you're coming up with ten percent of the purchase price and a hundred percent of the renovations being covered. There's some more details to that 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 whole loan process, but there's some super simple numbers for you. Um, Financing is more expensive than Canada. You're not getting those one and a half percent rates. But mind you, you got to compare apples to apples. At the same time. Um, would you, you wouldn't be personally, you're you're talking about a personally qualified loan to um, a loan that's to a corporation. So you got to more compare American lending to corporate lending, like uh, doing those kind of loans. Um, But it is going to be more expensive in the US than Canada. So be prepared for that. That's going to be the big sticker shock is the interest rates are higher. But depending on where you're buying, the purchase prices are much lower. So you, you think about it and even a higher interest rate, it, it doesn't matter because you're talking about such a small amount that you're, you're getting a loan on, right? Um, the IRS, yeah, you're going to be dealing with taxes in the U.S. and taxes in Canada. You are going to be dealing with double tax, but not double tax because there's a tax treaty. You're not going to pay tax twice on the same project. You just might be paying part of it in Canada and part of it in the U.S., um, and we kind of touched on that, that the... The amortization schedules are much shorter in, in the U.S., meaning you can write off stuff a lot faster. Um, cash is king uh, everywhere, um, but it's even more cash is king in the U.S. And the reason is, is in Canada, the properties are more expensive. So wholesalers and banks and everyone is on the page. They're all on the same page knowing that, the likelihood is that they are going to be closing and financing because not enough people can afford to buy these in cash right so in the states they are cheaper properties you're going to be competing with people who are for these properties who are cash buyers as well so if you can be a cash buyer it is a huge advantage Um, one thing I should note is when you're buying from wholesalers a lot of the listings will say cash only Um, you can work with hard money but what they're really saying is they want fast closes but if you can work in cash, uh, your offers are more uh, competitive than uncashed ones. And you're definitely, um, compared to like a, a VA loan or an FHA loan, you are way ahead by using cash, which we would not be qualifying for a, a VA loan or an FHA loan as a Canadian anyway. Um, but that's where it comes down to is it's timelines is what's important to the wholesalers, right? Um, Picking your markets in the United States, there are so many markets, and like I alluded to earlier <laughs> as well, um, it's all about finding what's important to you. Um, what is it? What is it? It is important to you because um, a lot of people are going into expensive markets in Florida. I keep hearing this over and over again. And yes, they cash flow better than Ontario, but do they? They don't cash flow as the as well as the Midwest, for instance. Um, so um maybe there's a personal aspect that you're looking at uh, for the properties and yes if you're going to have a personal aspect of these properties i would want it somewhere warm right so i want one of the southern states right uh where it's hot um whereas you know in all honesty if you're going to make try and make the highest cash flow it's going to be the midwest is where you're going to the middle basically the middle of the united states is where you're going to find more the, the better cash flowing properties and it all comes down to um rent to value ratios and what that means is you've heard the term of the one percent rule what the one percent rule means is a property that's uh worth one hundred thousand dollars would rent for a thousand dollars a month right that'd be the one percent rule um and as you go lower in price you tend to go into lower neighborhoods lower grade neighborhoods too um so it'll be higher crime but as you go lower than a hundred percent sorry than a hundred thousand dollars For a purchase price typically the value uh the rent to value ratio will go up so for instance if you bought a thirty thousand dollar house it wouldn't be out of the ordinary or even seem crazy to get something that rented for seven or eight hundred dollars a month which would be operating up at the two percent or the two and a half percent and you can multiply these things uh by working in duplexes or fourplexes you can now by buying like a $20,000 $20,000 duplex renovating for $20,000 because we actually did this um, and be in it for about $40,000 and then rent each side for 750 and so then um, your numbers will escalate even higher by doing that right so other, some other mark uh, some other things to consider when you're looking at picking your market uh, you might want to look at vacancy rates uh, landlord laws is definitely one of those things that uh, it's going to be very important to a lot of people if you're in uh certain states like bc or ontario um it might be one of the reasons you're going to the states um property taxes uh like i said you know certain states are much lower than others um pick a market that cash flows um i think that's the number one rule of real estate is have a property that cash flows um Believe it or not, there are people who do speculate. People buy a lot of properties with the hopes that they're just going to appreciate. Um, when you run, I run my numbers, appreciation is not in on the sheet at all. Um, and if you ever look at any of my deals, you'll see that it's not there anywhere. Anywhere to be found. Um, I don't even allude to what the appreciation rate is, even in the paperwork, to go with it. Um, it is a bonus. Um, and even if I am in a market like Florida that's uh, appreciating very well, I don't list it um it's a bonus when we go to do a flip there because um, that's what i do in florida is i do flips and um it, it's all planned in it, it or it's not planned in it's 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 a bonus so we have our arv is calculated on what it is right now and if the market appreciates then it's a bonus it, it is not factored into the numbers check these cities to see if they coincide with the 20 percent rule which means that um one employer doesn't hold 20 percent of the employees of that population for that town and you go why does that even matter well it doesn't it doesn't usually play in in most cities it where it plays in is these smaller towns in both can- canadas canada and the u.s meaning you go into these like little one horse mining towns and there's nothing else there if those mines close you are in a lot of trouble, right? Because no one wants to live there at all. And where does this happen? Does this happen in Canada? Yes, it does. It happens in northern New Brunswick. There's a lot of those towns that have closed down because the mining closed down. Does it happen in northern Ontario? Yes, it does. Does it happen all over the U.S.? Yes, it does. So just be aware of it. Don't be buying in a one-horse town um, for the employers for that place. And I am always looking for population growth uh, in the cities. But it doesn't mean you can't buy in these cities if the population growth is declining. For instance, um, Detroit, Michigan, is a very good market. Lots of people do really well in Detroit, Michigan. But it is a declining population city, so it ha- it's very landlord friendly. But it it doesn't have it doesn't meet all the criteria. So does that mean that you have to hit the perfect criteria for all of these things? No, it doesn't mean that. Um, it, it you just pick what's important to you right um, and a lot of times when I'm micro managing markets right so once i've figured out i'm like i'm going all in on Indianapolis or somewhere right. Um, I want to look at the school zones and the client crime rates for those mar- for the, the areas i'm in and for the neighborhoods and does a bad crime rate uh, mean don't buy there no it just means that I better get getting paid for it because you're gonna probably have more vacancy. So make sure you're buying in those rougher neighborhoods that you're going to get paid really well for it. Just because it will happen. You will have <laughs> more vacancy and more turnover and more expenses. So just be prepared for it. Um, where do you find your deals? Um, same thing in Canada the U.S. No big surprises here. Number one place is off the MLS, that's where most people uh, find their deals, and to do that, you call a realtor. Um, I find about 5%, percent i say, of my deals off the MLS, and I don't scour the MLS myself. I will have, Sometimes a realtor will bring me a pocket listing or something like that, or if I'm going off the MLS, it might be a short sale or foreclosures, because I will look through the MLS to find those, specifically, which are listed properties. Um, pocket listings, I love as well. Um, that's where the realtor has it under contract, but they haven't listed it on the MLS. So they'll show it to some of their other clients before they do so. Um, and really the value in, in, at least I find in real estate, is the fewer eyes that see it, the, the more likelihood it's a good deal or because it hasn't been taken yet. Um, so it's just to get there first. Um, and so by getting it before the MLS, it's an advantage. By buying from a wholesaler, it could be an advantage wholesalers can sell stuff at market value or above market value they are just people <laughs> that have like, have a contract to assign so do your due diligence on those and check all of their numbers all the numbers that they give you are good and fine but have someone verify them or verify them even well i'd verify them myself first and then have someone else triple verify them to make sure that they're or double verify make sure that they are actually accurate um talks briefly tax uh, short sales, foreclosures. You can get those from the bank. Um, you can buy tax deeds. You can buy tax liens and you can buy for sale by owners. And I'm sure there's probably lots of other ways, but that was what my list was. Um, so building your team out, you're going to need a whole bunch of people, property managers, contractors, wholesalers, attorneys to just, but not, you don't necessarily have to come up with all of this at day one. Um, a lot of these things you can get from word of mouth uh if you browse around uh, bigger pockets facebook um talk to people that are already doing it there um there's a lot of ways to build this out but property managers are probably the easiest part of the puzzle to find um so when you're looking for uh property managements, you might be getting them from your turnkey provider and you're kind of just stuck with them um it, it could work out well in your favor. I've had about my early days when I bought turnkey I bought four turnkeys and I had one maybe work out overall um I've fired all of them since then <laughs> but uh I guess the one in Missouri I still have, but they're oh for finding your contractors um I'll give you some don'ts for <laughs> for doing your your contractors. Don't give them a whole pile of money to start. Start with a small deposit and then continue giving them more money. Or work with um, a lending program so that the lending program is dictating how the how they're paid. Um, don't find your contractors by googling contractor or searching Craigslist. Um, hasn't every part i've get lots of phone calls from people who listen to the show and it's usually those are the number one problems that people have had and that's my number first question i always ask is how did you find these people and finding them off of those sources is just not good uh not a good place to find your your contractors um turnkey i will talk about this just because um there is there is better ways to to buy your property um like why do people buy turnkey it is, it's easy it's the time it doesn't take much time um you're far away from these properties so it's just you want something just done for you right um you don't have a team um they might have be able to connect you with lawyers and cpas and get your stuff all sort of built out um, a lot of times it comes with the tenants already in place, so they've vetted the tenants prior to you. Um, they pay all the tenant setup fees, and they typically they have better knowledge of the area than you do. Um, the problem with turnkey is, if you know real estate, your money is made when you buy the property And when you renovate and create value in the property and you've given up two of the biggest parts of real estate to somebody else, Um, a turnkey operator is typically someone similar to me, where you buy the property and renovate the property. But instead of selling it out to the MLS, where you're going to have to deal with FHA financing and all these crazy American financing programs that are going to be very difficult and may require additional renovations to your renovated property, Um, believe me, (laughs) Um, they get to sell it to an investor and skip all of that stuff. And uh, I always hear about people saying, oh, I bought this turnkey property and I bought it at such a discount. And I I always think of myself more on the turnkey operator side because I do the renovations and I go, why would the turnkey operator sell it to you for so cheap, it doesn't make sense. And I'm like, get the proper. did you get the property appraised? No. Did, did you pull comps? No. So you're just taking someone else's word for it that you got a big deal. Yes. Do your own homework. And if, uh, at the very least, call a realtor or someone to look these things up for you. The market is appreciating. It will bubble out some of your mistakes that you make. But try to make less mistakes. Do your own homework ahead of time. Um, da, 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 da. The one problem I had when I first started is I did use some of these property managers to build out, uh, do some of my renovation work because property managers do have people to do tenant turnover so they can maybe do some light renovation for you. And it was a, 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 an easy step into it when I started. Um, but when you do use turnkey operators, um, a lot of those turnkey operators, or they could, uh, the handyman could be on the turnkey operator staff, like W2 employees, which are like a similar to a T4 employee, and they will never be your employee. So, or they'll never be able to even work for you. So it's something to keep in mind um, if that's your intention of doing turnkey to, um, you, to leverage that team in order to continue building, it, it may not work out the way you're expecting it to. Uh, in all honesty, if I was going to do it myself, I would, uh, JV or work with someone who's already doing that, um, to try and skip all the steps off the start of doing the turnkey and buying that close to retail prices. You would be better off to buy discounted prices and get half of the deal. Anyway, personal opinion. <laughs> um, and if you buy these turnkey properties, they are, they do technically are much more difficult to burr because they are too close to retail prices, right? Um, do it yourself. Um, that's what I do is do it myself. If you take my coaching program, uh, slash coaching. Um, that's what we do teach is to do it yourself, set up your own teams. We kind of sugarcoated over it on this episode, about how we do it. But, um, anyway, do it yourself, set up your own teams, um some disadvantages is like some of the turnkey operators will be paying for the lease up fee for the first tenant sometimes it's a month's rent or half a month's rent so you'll give that up right um you got to manage this renovation from a distance so it could mean setting up a pro project manager on top of your contractor to to keep this thing going um anyway uh and you're going to have vacancy during the renovation. So what does that mean? You're not going to have a tenant in there while you're doing the renovation. So compared to turnkey, sometimes you buy the property and you get cash flow right from day one. Uh, typically, if you're doing the renovation yourself, you're going to have the vacancy. There's you're not, there's going to be money going out, but no money coming in. Um, but you should be getting uh, you should be buying it right so that you it more than pays for that amount of money during the thing. Um, so building your teams. So I'll go over this quickly. What you who you need. A lender, property manager, construction crew, an accountant, title agent, attorney. Um, attorneys do work at title agencies, so sometimes they can be leveraged back and forth. Um, but there's a lot of pieces to have uh, built up for your team. Um, so the big advantages to doing you're just doing yourself is creativeness. You have your mind, which is so powerful, <laughs> and you you have the ability to leverage all of these things you've learned from podcasts and coaching courses and trainings and everything else to put together so for instance you could do a burr on these projects um flips lease options um all kinds of seller financing you can get as creative as you want right um and by buying with wholesale or sorry with turnkey operators you just you just may not get all those options right Um, Remember, money's made during the renovations, money's made when you buy, right? Um, And you can typically purchase at better prices, right? By using wholesalers, um, even if you're buying off the MLS, using short sales, foreclosures, tax deeds, and other off-market ways of doing things through Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace and everything else. Okay, so... If we're gonna talk, uh, I'll talk briefly anyway, about seller financing. Um, is it available? Can Canadians get this? It is very available. Um, a lot of these properties we're buying at a much lower price points. And even still, these some of these owners have owned them for many years. They're often paid off. They, there's so many properties that are paid off that are sitting in cash. It is very available to get seller financing. Is your wholesaler gonna bring you seller finance deals? Uh, typically not often. Um, most wholesalers aren't trained on trying to negotiate seller financing. They try to negotiate on the price only. Uh, and as you know, you can negotiate on the price of the terms and typically they don't negotiate on the terms. Um, if you're doing your own lead gen and talking to people, it is a great way to get into the market. Um, Great into these into the U.S. by using seller financing. Um, it could solve some of your financing issues. For instance, you want to buy a mobile home park. They are hard to get financing for. You want um, properties that are zoned funny, like um, manufactured home. It's still a. Uh, it's not a trailer. It's on a foundation, but those ones are much more difficult to finance. Um, some multifamily, if the, if it has too much vacancy. It's too hard. It's hard to finance. A lot of people will say no to it, right? Um, Zoning issues, mixed-use buildings. I have a mixed-use building right now. Very difficult to finance. Still doable. We still did it. But it is much more difficult to finance those things, right? Um, And it could uh, solve some problems if you have property line issues or too close to the house because sometimes lenders won't lend on things because they don't meet their guidelines. So... Seller financing or a VTB could get around all this stuff, right? Um, Like I said, you negotiate on either the price or the terms or both, Um, but you can, if you get into the terms thing, there is much more flexibility and things you can come up with, right? So terms, some things you can negotiate on would be the, maybe you want to make your thing interest only or a mortgage payment deferral so you don't have to pay for the first six months or three months or something like that a subject to loan, a principal only loan, interest only, I already said that one, and a short term uh, loan during the reno, right? Because sometimes you go, if you pitch seller financing to someone, they're like, I don't want my money in 10 years. And you go, well, what about in six months? What if we did negotiated a seller finance deal for six months? And uh, they'll go, well, what's the point? And you're like, well, get this, I'm going to buy this property off of you. I'm then gonna renovate it. It's gonna be worth way more money. If I actually miss any of my payments or anything, you could take this back. It's gonna be much more beautiful when you're done with it. And this could be a huge value to you. Um, And guess what? Now, if I didn't have to go set up a fix and flip loan, I could skip paying points and origination fee. And even if I'm doing it with um, a private lender, I can skip some possibly high interest rates, right? So there's a lot of advantages by negotiating seller financing, even, for a short term and you could flip this on its side even and do it as a lease option where you are the one leasing the property instead of leasing it out to somebody else which would give you basically a rental contract you'd be renting the property you'd have to get permission to renovate during your rental um and then have a a option contract to purchase the property so now you could renovate the property with uh just paying rent and then uh you know, refi out or buy it based on whatever. Maybe you could find, well, I have a lender if you are interested, but you could find a lender that will refi at day one. So you have a guaranteed purchase price of this, but it's actually worth twice as much. Then maybe you could put your loan on based on the ARV and not actually on the purchase price and, and refi on day one and actually get cash back to buy the property. How cool would that be? Anyway, there's so much... Um, You take the course. We talked about this for quite a while. There's so many different options you can do if you can get seller financing um, running on on your side of of this whole thing. Um, Financing cheap properties. um, Up until, I don't know, probably a year ago, I thought it was impossible to finance cheap properties. It is possible to to finance cheap properties. Uh, I have a lender that will finance a $5,000 property. Probably doesn't make any sense to do so, but they would... They have no minimums, right? And typically, uh, these cheap properties, they do require cash for closing. Uh, A lot of times, like I said, the wholesalers will insist on it, so you're talking cash or hard money. Um, They're not probably gonna wait for a regular bank. And in all honesty, they're probably not gonna qualify with a regular bank, right? Because there's stuff that isn't perfect with these properties. Um, Let's talk a bit about uh, corporate structure. So, Corporate structure, what are the, the the structures in the US? So there's an LP, a limited partnership, uh, LLC, a limited liability company, a C-Corp, and an S-Corp. Throw S-Corp out the window to start because as a Canadian, you can't do an S-Corp. An S-Corp has to have every single citizen that's registered on there uh, to be an American. So no S-Corps for Canadians. Maybe There might be some sort of loophole that if you had a corporation, American corporation, you might be able to slip it in there. And then, I, I don't know, but as a whole, S-corps, stay away from, because just because of the, um, you have to be American to use them, right? So um, we're down to LP, LLC, and C-corp. So C-corp is pretty much uh, is similar to a Canadian corp as you can get in the US, meaning if you wanna pull money out, you gotta, it's gonna be char- uh, taken as dividends, you're gonna pay corporate tax on the properties. Where an LP or an LLC is a flow-through entity, meaning you will pay taxes personally, on uh, on what you make. So it'll flow through, You're right. you do a corporate tax return, but you'll be paying taxes on, at, at your personal rate. Um, so they both have different advantages, um, depending on what your goals are. And literally whenever I have my accountant set these up, we have come up with dozens of different ways to set them up based on what the goals of the corporation are gonna be, or entity are, are gonna be. And so sometimes if we're, we're doing flipping, or we're doing um, burrs or we're doing lease options, and how many we're doing will det- dictate which is the best option for whatever strategy, right? Um, and so who sets these up? I typically, I have my CPA do it. Yes, you can have do some online services to do this. Um, they will be cheaper, I'm sure. Uh, I've never used them, but I'm sure they are cheaper, and but I like to have someone do it for me. I like to make sure there's no mistakes done. I want a professional and someone who is licensed to make sure it's done properly. But you do you, uh, whatever whatever makes you feel comfortable. Um, and the one thing to think about is double tax when we're starting to talk about corporate structures, right? So the corporate tax rate is lower. So if you're using a C-corp, you're going to be paying lower taxes. But um, whenever you pull your dividends out, uh, you're going to be taxed on half of the dividend. So you're going to be taxed again. So if you're doing a strategy where you're not pulling money out, it's just reusing it in the same company, C Corp is definitely going to be the way to go because you're only going to be paying tax at a lower rate. And if you leave it in the corporation, not pulling any dividends, you're going to be way ahead. Whereas, um, L- LPLLC is going to flow through personal taxes. Where you get a little sticky is LLCs, limited liability companies. The Kinder Revenue Agency does not have an equivalent structure to an LLC. They look at an LP and go, yeah, we have a limited an LLP in Canada, so that's kind of the same. They look at a C-Corp, it's kind of like our Canadian corp. So, but an LLC, they don't have an equivalent structure. So the way they look at an LLC is they think of it as a C-Corp. So the problem, if you use an LLC as your main structure, is Canada Revenue will go, okay, you should be taxed at the corporate tax rate for your LLC. But guess what? That money's flowed down to you personally. And in the States, you're paying personal taxes on your LLC. And in Canada, you're paying corporate taxes. Guess what? Double tax. So you don't want that, right? So you can use LLCs. You just don't want it at the top of your structure. So if you, um, there's a million ways to set these up. You could put an LP at the top that just owns the properties. It's the simplest way. You could put an LP with a bunch of LLCs underneath it. LLC number one takes all the liability, right? Just like it'd be like the general partner, take 99% of the liability, 1% goes up to the LP, and you put all the properties in LLC two, three, four, five. I've done that way before. I put stuff just in straight LPs, and in all honesty, that's what I mostly do. And I've also used the C-Corp method. Always work. And it's just all about what your intention is. And that's why I wanna talk to a professional about it so that it's set up that's gonna make the most sense for what my goals are for the company. Okay, almost done guys. So what I wanna talk about lastly is what happens if there's another crash in the US. For some reason, no one believes that there'll ever be one in Canada, but what happens if there's one in the US? So we'll just pretend that that's how it works. So typically cycles are 10 years. You can take that with a grain of salt because right now in both countries, they're running long. Um, who lost their properties during the 2007, 8, 9 recession, wherever you want to say it, that's when it happened. Um, who, who lost their properties? It's people who didn't have a CapEx fund. It's people who didn't have cash reserves saved up so that when stuff went bad, uh, a roof went, uh, whatever happened, they didn't have the money to fix it. There was nothing for them to do but to give the property up right um the other people who lost their houses during the recession are people who had short-term financing meaning they were in the middle of a fix and flip loan they got to the end and they wanted to burr the property and at the end of that there was no financing because what happens with the u.s is when um something happens like even covid they tighten up and so leverage rates usually drop um and even programs just disappear so maybe the foreign national program could just disappear and you wouldn't have a fi- refi option. Um, so that's, you're, you just didn't have the financing to roll into. It just doesn't exist. But there's more options. And there's always, they've, they've, because of two thousand seven, there is all these hard money lenders that exist now because of this. And they're happy to scoop you up. The interest rates during a, a time of pressure will go up. Who, I'm not kidding. Who's who's kidding who? They will go up, but there will be no options, right? They, they've um, the, the last recession has created options for going forward. And the last thing why people lost their houses is their properties didn't cash flow. They're speculators, and this is happening again. People are speculating on these properties in both countries, and I see it all the time in Canada. And everyone believes this market is going to go up forever. It's a crazy way of thinking. Make sure your properties cash flow. It is the number one rule of real estate investing. Make sure they all cash flow. Uh, you can still buy in appreciation market, appreciating markets. Um, if you listen to like Robert Kiyosaki, like how many houses could you buy? And you're like as many as I can get my hands on. It says in the book, right? Um, because they cash flow, right? As long as they make more than they cost, then yes. But if you have a whole bunch of properties that cost you money every month, how many of those can you buy? I don't know, but it's not a good place to be in, right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise that to anyone. And the number one rule also, or another, not number one rule, but another good rule is you haven't lost anything till you sell, right? So if there is a recession starting to go down, if you can hold the property for the 10 years, they say, if you read The Wealthy Barber, it says if you hold the property for 10 years and you bought the very top of a cycle, at the very least, you can, you'll be at least at where it was in 10 years, so, and did this even hold true in the 2007 9 recession? Yes, it did. In 10 years, all markets were recovered. And you could sell for what you bought it for. So the, the, the rule does hold up. So, thank you for listening to this, everybody. Um, I think it was a little bit different than my um, one I did two years ago for episode 100. Uh, You guys know where to find me. Check out the podcast channel. If you're looking for the coaching, glensutherland.com slash coaching. Um, If you have questions, glenn at glensutherland.com. If you want a topic covered, email me at glenn at glensutherland.com. I will literally find a guest who is an expert on that topic or I'll just cover it myself if it's something that I, a strategy that I do. But bring them in. I will find somebody for you. I want to make sure that this podcast gives the most value. So just ask. Um... Thanks, everyone. I'll see you guys next week.